Jesus, um, we're grateful you're here, and if you're here, that means your Holy Spirit's here. And if your Holy Spirit's here, that means he's active in all of us who are welcome in our lives. And the Holy Spirit, you're our teacher. Um, you can bring to light things in our hearts and our minds um, that only you can do. So as we look into your word today, Holy Spirit, would you be active with your highlighter and highlight things to each one of us individually that you want us to hear and you want us to respond to, and then you want us to change and grow so we can be full of the life and power that comes from God alone. Let me ask all in Christ's name. Amen. So I'm a, I'm, I'm a fan of reading what's called the Babylon Bee. Anybody read the Babylon Bee? It's kind of a, it's kind of a Christian satire website. They, they, they make fun of things. They make fun of Republicans, Democrats. They'll even make fun of churches that sing a song 20 times over and over, that kind of stuff. They're just funny. So they had a, I was reading it this week, and they had a, their predictions for 2023, and it's all kind of funny satire stuff. It's an, uh, it's an app on my phone. But here's, one of the, here's their first prediction for 2023. Millions set out to read their entire Bible. All right, and then, you know, because like, people, you know, New Year's resolution. Then they have something else they predict for the second or the third. And then January 4th, next one. Dozens still reading their entire Bible. All right. And then go to the next one. Then they have a bunch of stuff the rest of the year about politics. I mean, it's all just funny stuff about politics, politicians, what, what new wars are going to start, and things like that. And they end with December 31st. The last remaining person still reading through their Bible finally finishes it. All right? And I, I thought that was, you know, we're, we're New Year's resolutions, and sometimes we might have spiritual resolutions. I want, I want to do something different in my spiritual life, and we... We want to read the Bible or things like that. And I have nothing against reading the Bible in a year. It's just, it's one of those things that you've, it's a huge goal and people often falter like in the first month. I'm sure some of you may have started it and things like that. My, my challenge though is do something maybe new this year spiritually wise. Maybe new in reading the Bible. Um, I have my own habit. I, I read... Uh, there's another app called the, Bi- the Version Bible. I have a verse of the day. I read a whole chapter. So find some kind of, go to the next slide. So, I, I, no, do I have one that says Version? Do I not have that one? I must have, del- okay, go back to the other one then. They have, if you go to different apps, you can find all kinds of Bible reading plans. There's one that's reading through the Gospels in 30 days, or there's one that's reading through this book of the Bible in eight days, or one that reads the New Testament maybe in the year. But find some kind of habit or plan of, of reading the Bible. And the goal, I was reading some, something this week, and I thought it was good for me to remind you this. The goal is not to read more of the Bible. The goal is you want to get closer to God. And reading the Bible is a means that God can talk to you and you can hear from him. So don't, don't, sometimes it's easy for us to make our goal. We have these, I'm going to read through the Bible, I'm going to do this. And then we forget the fact that, no, our goal is really we want to get closer to God. And those are ways that we know they can get us closer to God. But don't make the goal the check marks. I'm going to do this more, I'm going to go to church more, read the Bible more, give more, whatever. Those are all really good things, but those aren't the end product. The end product is I want to know God more and be known by God more. So I shared that because I, I thought, you know, when we talk about change and want to see change in our lives. And I did a, started a series. Today's the last one, but it's going to be a continuation. 
It's called I did Christmas Revival. And you're like, wait, it's not Christmas. I know it's not Christmas anymore, although technically the 12 days of Christmas and even in the life of the church is still the second Sunday of Christmas. But the idea of revival is change. And you want to, we want something changed in our life. So it kind of fits. And we're going to be talking more about revival, that word, in future weeks. I think I'll just call it New Year Revival. Because the revival is times where God does something in his, the lives of his people that gets their attention, and then it gets the attention of people outside the church. Like something's going on supernaturally. So this whole sense of we want to see change, you've probably had different things you're thinking about doing differently, and I, you know, I, we, we want to see people who aren't followers of Jesus become followers of Jesus, all these things. And so we want to see those, we want to see those things happen. And just here's some, I'm just going to go through there. I had four different things I've talked about the last number of weeks. I'll just put them up there, kind of principles to think about when we think about revival. And then we're going to talk about a new one today. So one is be open to God getting your attention in a stunning kind of way. Isaiah talked about people walking in darkness seeing a great light. And sometimes in our lives, God does something that sets you back and you're like, he gets your attention. It could be an event in your life. It just could be a emotional experience you have and you know God's part of that but be open to that kind of thing that God does something that's out of the ordinary God is the God who loves smashing the status quo all right be open to that in your life all right next one we talked about a few weeks ago be open to your sin being exposed it's like well you know, it's that no but Jesus when he said he was the light of the world which was the light coming into the world he said most times we don't like being in the light because we don't want to be exposed so part of revival in that sense happens all throughout the Bible. It's happened all throughout history. When God shows up in supernatural ways in people's ordinary lives, they see things about their lives they know God wants them to change. So be open to that. Don't be afraid of that because that's where freedom is going to be found. That's where the light becomes the light that fully fills you in that sense. Next one, be open to the supernatural stuff that will happen when Jesus shows up. So we talked about whether it's in the Bible, whether it's in the book of Acts, other times throughout history, when God showed up in supernatural ways, there were certain people that expressed their worship in more expressive ways. Things started to happen. I mean, I was just talking to somebody uh, yesterday who talked about something that happened in their life. They knew it was a supernatural event. So there's times where you're going you're gonna to have a sense that some, something just happened that's different, that's out of the ordinary, not just stunning, but I feel like God told me something that I didn't know any other way, you know, supernatural stuff. Or somebody might see or do something. Somebody might say they saw something that God told. I, just be open to those things because that's the Bible talks about those things. And in uh, the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit came down, it said they appeared above these people like tongues of fire above their heads. And it's like, whoa, that's kind of either they were all, and the, the accusation there was they're all drunk. And I like, no, 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 they're not drunk. So be open to supernatural things. Last one that I talked about was be open to the reality that Jesus lives in you because part of the light in Emmanuel, unto us the child is born, um, God is with us. So that's one of those things that's kind of, a, kind of like Christianity 101, but I need to be reminded of that. The spirit of Jesus is in me, all right? So I wanna, we're gonna, Jump from the Christmas story, but kind of finish the Christmas story. You'll know what I mean by that in a second. So I'm going to go straight to, go to the next one. Go to the next one first. I'm going to go straight to Matthew chapter 2. 
And this is the, the Christmas story shows up in Luke 2 and Matthew 2. But we're going to go toward the end of the story. So go to the next slide. So the wise man had showed up. They saw the star. Uh, I think the shepherds had already, of course, the shepherds had already been there. Mary and Joseph already had the baby. They're in a stable in Bethlehem. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. This is the wise men. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. All right? So it's part of the warm fuzzy. We have our own little nativity scenes, and the wise men are there. The shepherds are there. Um, they give him the gifts, although most likely the wise men came within a couple years. Jesus was probably at least one or two years old, so it didn't all happen all at once, but that's okay. We can still have our manger scenes, right? But we usually stop the story here. The Christmas story usually stops here. Shepherds came, Jesus was born, wise men eventually come, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and then end of story, Christmas over. All right. Let me just finish the chapter here, because Christmas has the warm fuzzies. It's good. Christmas has these supernatural things happen. It's good. But whenever God shows up in, in, in a revival kind of way, something else happens. So go from here. Go to the next. So now this is just a couple of verses later. After the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Supernatural. Get up. Flee to Egypt with the child and his mother, the angel said. Stay there till I tell you to return. Because Herod, Herod was the king, the Roman installed king over that area. Because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. All right, that's usually not read as part of our Christmas Eve services, all right, but it's a continuation of the Christmas story. Herod was threatened by this newborn king, the wise men, because the wise men had gone to Herod a few, you know, a few weeks before. Hey, we saw this star. We know there's a new king. Where's the king? And Herod's like, oh, what do you mean new king? And so he says, tell me, tell me when you find this new king, because I want to worship him too. Herod was lying. Herod was threatened. If you knew some of Herod's background story, I mean, he had his sons killed. He had some of his wives killed because he was threatened in power, all right? So Herod wanted to search for the child to kill him. Go to the next one. Finish the story. That night, Joseph left for Egypt. So Joseph had a sense that there was urgency in the dream. That night, Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary, his mother, and they stayed there until Herod's death. This fulfilled what the Lord had spoken to the prophet. I will call, I've called my son out of Egypt. Next one. Herod was furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him. Because the wise men were told in a dream. He sent soldiers to... So God's engaged in all this. He sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under. Based on the wise men's report of the star's first appearance. All right. This is part of the Christmas story that... We don't read it because it, it's too disturbing, and it is disturbing, but it's part of what happened. They had to flee because Herod is so threatened by this new king. He had all the babies two years and older under killed because, you know, apparently that's the wise men told him when the star first appeared. So Herod's like, well, and Bethlehem wasn't a huge town, but you can imagine there were probably a number of two year old and under boys that were then killed. So you can imagine the trauma of that. Like, what's going on here? Is it just Herod? being an evil emperor, what else is happening? All right, so now I'm going to jump. Same story, different point of view. Jump to the book of Revelation. Revelation 12 
And I'm sure most of us, it wasn't until a few years ago where I kind of saw that this is actually kind of a different telling of the Christmas story. And I'm just going to read part of Revelation 12. So Revelation is written by John. John, who was one of the disciples of Jesus. Um, this would have been, I don't know, maybe 30 to 50 years after Jesus' resurrection. John was the last, most likely, as far as we know, the last remaining disciple alive. Because the other ones had been martyred. But John was still alive. He was actually in exile. Because they didn't like what he's talking about. Jesus' exile on an island, an island called Patmos. And he's having kind of these visions that God gives him. And he writes these things down. Because he's trying to encourage people who are going through, who are trying to follow Jesus, but realize there's opposition. All right? That's the word we'll talk about in a second. Right away, Herod, there's opposition to this new thing God's doing through Jesus. All right? So in Revelation 12, let me just, uh, just leave this up here. I think this is a part where I have one of the verses on the screen, Stephanie, but I'll let you know. So just, just listen and kind of see, because John, Revelation is very visual in a lot of things that are happening. Right? Then I witnessed in heaven a great, an event of great significance. I saw a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon beneath her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant. Connection already to Christmas story. She cried out because of her labor pains and the agony of giving birth. Then I witnessed another significant event in heaven. I saw a large red dragon with seven heads and ten horns with seven crowns on his, heads, on his head. His tail swept away a third of the stars in the sky and threw them to the earth. He stood in front of the woman as she was about to give birth, ready to devour her baby as soon as it was born. Right away you think, okay, Herod, the dragon, there's some kind of, when God does something new, there's, there's fierce opposition at times. She gave birth to a son who was to rule all the nations with an iron rod. And her child was snatched away from the dragon and was caught up to God into his throne. The woman fled into the wilderness. They fled to Egypt, where God had prepared a place to care for her for 1,260 days, which is the amount of time people think they were in Egypt. Then there was war in heaven. Michael, one of the two angels actually named in Scripture, Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and his angels, and the dragon lost the battle. And he and the angels were forced out of heaven. The great dragon, the ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, the one deceiving the whole world, was thrown down to earth with all of his angels. Then I heard a loud voice shining across the heavens. It's come at last, salvation and power and kingdom of our God and the authority of our Christ, for the accuser of our brothers... All right, I think I have this on, on the slide now. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters, that's what's one of the things Satan's called. And again, I'm still hanging on to the Christmas story, or the Herod story. The accuser has been thrown down to the earth, the one who accuses them day and night. The them is us, the one who accuses them day and night, and they have defeated him by the blood of the Lamb and by their testimony, and they did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. And then the story continues that Satan is defeated, but he's angry, and he declares war against all of the offspring of the woman, which is us. We are the, we are the, we are the church. We're the people of God. So it's like, okay, so what's going on in this part of the Christmas story? Did, and this idea that Herod was trying to kill Jesus... And here's the principle of revival that I'm going to, for today, all right? Be aware that any movement toward freedom and life will always be opposed. Anytime that you make a move toward wanting to get closer to God, 
that's something that Satan does not want, he will oppose it in some way. So just be aware of that, that this Christian life, it's full of joy and peace, and there's the Holy Spirit's with you, um, but there's opposition. And sometimes we, and I even, I'll say me, I'm, I don't, I'm not always aware of that. Think, now just think for a second. Go back to the Old Testament. Moses was going to be the one who grew up to redeem the people of Israel and take them out of the, Egypt into the promised land. What happens? Pharaoh is upset at how many Jewish people were being born. He tries to kill all the babies. They have to hide Moses in the water, and he's rescued. All right? But at the beginning of something God was doing, there was opposition. Nehemiah in the Old Testament went back to Israel after they'd been decimated. He wanted to rebuild the wall and rebuild the temple. Right away at the beginning of this new thing, there are other government officials, not Jewish, who are trying to thwart them and oppose them viciously. All right? New thing, opposition. New thing, opposition. Jesus is born, new thing, new work of God, opposition. Book of Revelation, woman giving birth, dragon, new thing, opposition. So anytime there's a new thing, and this is where it even ties into the new year, anytime you have a new energy to kind of, I'm going to do this now. I'm going to pursue God differently. I want to stop doing this. I want to start doing this. I want to have a Bible reading plan. I want to, I want to give more. I want to do whatever. Um, anytime you have set your heart on doing something new in your life that leads you toward freedom and life, it will be opposed. And I'm not saying that like, oh, we should be afraid and don't even move toward freedom and life, just be okay with the status quo, because that's not a good place to be either. But the stories of Scripture, whenever God was doing a new thing, Satan loves to kill new things at the beginning of those new things. So you have a new resolve to read the Bible more, pray more, give more. New resolve on how you relate to your spouse in marriage. Your new resolve about how you relate to your kids. Maybe a new resolve to forgive somebody. New resolve to be more kind and generous. I can almost but guarantee you that you have a resolve to do something, something will be thrown in your path and it'll make it like, oh. one of the examples I've said before was, and this, I'm sure there's other examples. There was time where I thought we decided to increase our giving, my wife and I, and I think it was like a day later our water, pe- water heater gave out. Now, do I think Satan was behind the water heater? No. But something was, you know, like, okay, so you decided to do something new, and opposition happened. So this whole idea that be aware that any movement toward freedom of life is going to be opposed, there is going to be opposition. So, and I... The stories I just gave from Scripture are kind of these extreme examples. Um, but I, we also know that, we know that Satan is he's an accuser, so he loves to tell us things about us that make us go right into self-condemnation, right? Um, he's accusing us. The Bible says he's accusing us for God day and night. I mean, you might think, I, I do enough self-accusation. He's accusing you us day and night. So one of the things I, it's one of my favorite books I read, and I won't give the whole book, but 
one, this is one of the things this author writes. The author's name is John Eldridge, but he writes this. The devil, no doubt, has a place in our theology. But is he a category we even think about in the daily events of our lives? Has it ever crossed your mind that not every thought that crosses your mind comes from you? We are being lied to all the time. Yet we never stop to say, wait a minute, who else is speaking here? Where are those ideas coming from? Where are those feelings coming from? I mean, we tend to, yeah, Satan does all this great, you know, big, you know, killing baby. But the Bible tells us he's also a schemer. He's a father of lies. And there was, I remember a day in the not so long ago past where I felt like everybody was against me. My family, my wife, you know, whatever. And, and then you start having thoughts and feelings that you know aren't rational. You know aren't even congruent with reality. But you still kind of think that way. Oh, she always does that. He always does that. They don't look. They, they this, this. And there's a time where you stop. And in this situation, I stopped. And I thought, okay, there's, there's something else going on here. Because I know what I'm thinking and feeling doesn't match with what I know to be true. So is there another voice in the equation? Is Satan whispering to me? Is Satan lying to me? Well, if he accuses it, and usually... When you have those thoughts and feelings, it doesn't lead you to a greater sense of joy and peace. It leads you usually to the pit of self-condemnation. Ah, I messed up. I'm not a good dad. I'm not a good husband. I I did this. And whenever you find yourself there, that's not the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God does not speak in condemnation. He speaks in conviction. He might say... You need, to be, you need to treat your wife with more kindness or you need to be generous with that person. You need to be forgiving. He might, the Spirit will say that. The Spirit will never speak to you in self-condemnation where it's like, you're bad. You're unredeemable. I can't believe you did this. There's no hope for you. You can never change. That's not the Spirit of God. And if you have the Spirit of God in you, it's not you either. It's another voice in the equation who's trying to figure out how to stop you in your tracks. And those things especially will become pronounced when you decide you want to try something new. You want to take a new step in your relationship with God. Because any movement toward freedom of life will be opposed. Now, does that mean that every negative emotion you have? It's not, I'm saying it's all from Satan. But at least be open. I mean, the, the Bible talks about in the book of Job that Satan put it in the Chaldeans to attack Job and smash his house. The Bible tells us that Satan was the one that encouraged Ananias and Sapphira to lie to the apostles about how much money they had. The Bible tells us Satan prompted Judas to betray Jesus. Right? The Bible tells us that Satan was the one behind a woman who had for years been trying to get healing. She finally was healed by Jesus, but Satan was behind it. So we get examples in the Bible of kind of somewhat ordinary people that Satan prompted them to think, do, or feel something. So maybe that's us. Oh, here. Do I hear music? Is that me? That was totally unintentional. That's weird. I was opening my music, and I have, it was a Christmas song, so it wasn't like anything. Anyway. The point I just want to make is, is this. When you think about new resolutions, 
when you think about, I'm going to forgive that person. I want to read the Bible more. I want to be more generous. I want to be more kind to my coworkers. And that, it, those things are usually things the Spirit of God is prompting you. Or I want to stop this one behavior I'm doing that I know God doesn't approve of. The minute you resolve those things, Satan loves to stop anything at its beginning because that's when it has its greatest inertia. All right? If he can stop it before it gets momentum, I've been reading my Bible more regularly. I've been, I've been avoiding that one sin in my life regularly now. Once you get to those points, you, you feel a sense of strength in the Holy Spirit. But at the very beginning, the birth of Moses, the beginning of Nehemiah rebuilding the wall, Jesus being born, the, the very beginning of something God doing, there will be opposition. And again, it's not dramatic. It's not like always going to be... Um, this is, totally ages me. There was a comedian years ago called Flip Wilson. Anybody remember Flip Wilson? He used to always say, the devil made me do it. All right? That was one of his lines. It was supposed to be funny. But I'm not saying every time you have a bad action or thought, it's, the, it's Satan. But the Bible's full of times where Satan's engaged in the lives of people, and it tells us, the Bible tells us he's an accuser. So if you, I was just having breakfast with somebody yesterday, not somebody from this church, but somebody who's a follower of Jesus and has been for years, and he was just saying, I found myself a lot in self-condemning thoughts. I'm down on myself about this. I'm down on myself about that. Um, when that hits me, it's usually when I'm awake at night, I start thinking, ah, I didn't do that right. I wish I had done it better. I'm not. I failed at this. I'm not better. Maybe. Maybe. Um, that's not God. Maybe it's not you. Maybe there's another voice in the equation. And then uh, the passage tells us, go to the next slide here. The passage tells us they defeated him by the blood of the lamb right in the middle. So it's like, okay, so if I'm having these self-condemning thoughts, if I'm really beating myself up, which I think most of us are probably pretty experienced at, beating ourselves up at times. So, okay, so what do I do? How do I fight back? Well, it's like defeated him by the blood of the lamb. And when I read that, I kind of think, what does that mean? Does that mean you just say blood of the lamb and all of a sudden those thoughts stop? I think, I think. What, what, what it means is hey, what the blood of the lamb did, it tells me this is how God sees me. God sees me with a new heart. God sees me with a good heart. doesn't mean anything I do is good, but God sees me this way because of the blood of Jesus. So I know what I'm thinking right now about myself is a lie. And if it's a lie, it's not from me, it's not from God. So God, I know it's a lie, and I know um, how you see me because of what Jesus did for me. And I'm not saying those things stop right away, but I'm just, if you want to grow this year, I, I thought, I, I always think when it comes to New Year, okay, a year from now, I want my relationship with God to be closer than it is. And you think about things you want to do differently, because it doesn't happen by osmosis, of course. But it, you will have, if you resolve to do something different in your life with God, you will be accused. You're going to have times where you wonder, ah, waste of effort. I shouldn't do this. Waste of my time. I can't do it. So, because the Bible tells us that Satan's defeated. He's real, but he's defeated. And we need to remind ourselves about God sees us.
God sees us a certain way because of Jesus. He doesn't see us as a bad husband, a bad mother, a bad father, a bad sibling, a bad person. He doesn't see us that way. He sees us with a new heart. And those accusations, I mean, the Bible says he's, Satan's accusing us like nonstop. So you don't have to live there. I don't have to live there anymore. And so I'm just encouraging you this year, if you're moving to try to do something new in your relationship with God, don't be discouraged by a setback if you feel like it's some, especially if it's in the self-condemning world of your own mind. Because whenever God does something new, there will be opposition. But it's defeated. The opposition never wins. Opposition never wins. It's defeated. But we have to kind of remind ourselves over and over and have God remind ourselves over and over. He calls us beloved. He calls us his sons and daughters. Old Testament Zechariah says he sings over us. He doesn't accuse us. He might convict us of sin. He will do that. He doesn't accuse us. He doesn't speak to us in self-condemning, cut you down, push you down into the earth kind of thing. That's not God. So just realize, if one of the things we say at Exodus is we believe the invisible world is just as real as the visible, which is great when it comes to the Holy Spirit and supernatural things God can do, but that also includes there's opposition um, that will try to stop us. I mean, that was one of my, another one of my authors talks about that we have, our story has an enemy. And they said, think about all the good stories you love. They all have an enemy. I mean, the enemy in Lord of the Rings is Lord Sauron. The enemy in, you know, whatever show, whatever movie, with Superman's enemy is what? Lex Luthor or whatever. There's any movie or book you love that tells a story of adventure. There's somebody who's trying to do something good who has an enemy. And this author said, the reason that we love those is because that's our story. We just don't think about it that way. That you have a story that God's writing. He wants you to be something and see yourself, do things in, in God's name for you. And you become a, a light in the world. But your story has an enemy. The, all the great stories in the world have an enemy. So why do we think we're different? Because that's how God made the world. So my encouragement is simply to uh, remember who you are. You're a son, you're a daughter of the king of the world. He loves you, he sings over you, he knows you by name, he will not crush you. All right, let's pray. So God, we... Uh, we want to know you more. We want to get closer to you. We want to hear your voice. We want to know that you hear us. And uh, 365 days from today, we don't want our spiritual lives to be in the exact same place they are now. We don't want to just mark time. We want to see something change in our relationship with you because we want to get closer to you. Um, so would you train our voice, our ears, to hear your voice only and not the voice of the enemy? So as we make these strides and these movements and these changes that we're not stopped because accusations and discouraging words that are whispered or shouted into our hearts, because it's not you, but we want to hear your voice shouting into our hearts that you love us, that you're, we're your children, you cherish us, you sing over us, 
and you call us by name. That's what we want to hear. So Jesus, we love you. Pray this year would be a year for each one of us um, that we know you more, hear you more, and uh, love you more. Let me ask on your name. Amen.